0: O Lord, our God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our family has spent, uh, you know, a fair amount of time at, at various times uh, at, 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 the, at the beach. And um, when we're at the beach, we are typically you know playing in the water or maybe throwing a football around or a frisbee or playing bocce ball in the sand or building sandcastles or just lying back in a chair and reading a book what's interesting to me is that of all the times that, that we have done that i can't think of one time where we were there at the beach doing something and somebody walked up and said hey come follow me and we got up and all left I, i've just never seen it happen um, you know, first of all, no one has ever asked us to do that, and if they had, no, I don't think any of us would have done it. And I think that's one of the things that's so surprising to me about the story that we read this morning in Mark's gospel is that here is Jesus walking along the beach, and he encounters some guys, and he says to them, "Come, follow me," and they do. And we don't know a lot about the Mark doesn't give us any backstory. About what happens about the interact any kind of relationship that Jesus and these guys have. John tells us that maybe Jesus' first encounter with Andrew and Peter takes place because Andrew is a follower of John the Baptist, and and Jesus John the Baptist sees Jesus one day and tells his disciples, "This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." And Andrew and his and another disciple are intrigued by that, and so Andrew. Uh, has a relation, conversation with Jesus, and he goes and gets Peter. So there's a, there, it may be that this encounter Mark describes takes place after that encounter, so there's at least some knowledge of Jesus. But I still find it fascinating that here comes Jesus just simply walking on the beach, sees them, says, "Come follow me," and they do. And there is something about the following that takes place here that I find intriguing, in that here are Peter and Andrew fishing. It's their job, it's their occupation, it's their livelihood, it's what they do. And all it takes is Jesus to say, come follow me, and they drop their nets and they leave. And so people walk by later and say, why is that net just lying there in the water? Where are the guys who were using it? And there's something about the call of Jesus, and I know that these are Jesus is calling his inner circle of disciples, but I... I don't think the call of the disciples is any different than the call that Jesus places on your life and my life. And at the heart of this response to Jesus' call is a willingness to release whatever in our lives that's important to us. It doesn't necessarily mean that we quit our jobs and and we just go walk around the wilderness, but it does mean that our priorities, our passions... The things that are are vital to us, we release them to Jesus. And these things in which we find value and worth and significance. The things in which we place our hopes and our dreams. All of these things. To follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, is to release them to him. To be willing to take our hands off of them. And to do what Jesus wants. You know, There's something in us that says, to, to be a, I can be a disciple of Jesus in such a way that what I really want is I've got great plans, and to be a disciple of Jesus is to bring Jesus into our plans and to ask Jesus to bless our plans. Not that I've ever done that, but I've heard that people have done that before. But the call of Jesus is about letting go of our plans for his plans. And to, and to realize that, that it's his plans that matter when it comes to discipleship and following him. And the, the point is not, hey, maybe Jesus will bless my plans and dreams, but rather, Jesus, give me the grace to follow your plans and dreams. Peter and Andrew leave their nets. James and John have a little different scenario. Mark tells us that with James and John... They are they are sitting there mending their nets and they, they fish with their father. And and he and he says that they they leave their father and go follow Jesus. I have a feeling Zebedee is sitting there in the boat thinking, wait a minute, what just happened here? It reminds me of when I was in second grade. I think I've shared the story with you before, but when I was in second grade, went home with a friend one day after school, We're gonna spend the night and then go back to school with him the next day. And We were at his house, and for some reason, his father scared me. I don't know why, but but he he scared me, and so I was really nervous about this. Well, he lived across the street from a grade school, uh, another grade school in town where my sister went to school, and they had a playground in the back of it, so when we got home from school, we went over there, we were playing on the playground, we got done, we walked around the front of the school, and what I would consider an act of God, in that very moment, my sister came walking out of the school with probably a Girl Scout troop or something, and they got into, they were getting into the car, and I jumped in the car with her, and went home, and I left my little friend just standing there with his mouth open, his eyes wide, like, wait a minute, what just happened here? And I sort of have that mindset, that's in my mind when I think about Zebedee, he's sitting there in the boat, everything is fine, and all of a sudden, wait, what? I mean, I can see the sign that Zebedee has up, Zebedee and sons fishing. And now, it's just Zebedee fishing. There is something about following Jesus that's not just about what we do, it's about our relationships as well. Relationships are important, relationships are a gift of God. Family is a gift of God. But to follow Jesus means that nothing, not even our relationships, come before Jesus. I don't think Jesus is asking us to to walk away from our family or to walk away from our relationships. But I do think Jesus is saying, to follow me means that nothing is more important in your life, even your closest relationships. Because the reality is, when Jesus is at the center of our lives, our relationships come alive. And this is following Jesus. It is, it, it is, it is the call of, of God on us that says what we do and, how, and our relationships and all that we are is takes second place to Jesus. I think there's something in us that, that we struggle with that. And I believe that there is something that, that the call of Jesus and discipleship is, is more radical than we often imagine. I think there's something in us that, that forgets that when, the, when Jesus calls us, He's first. Everything in life comes about him. This is not new. At the end of Joshua's life, he's standing up in front of the Israelites, and he says to them, choose this day whom you will serve. Because if you want to be God's people, it matters who you serve. Are you going to serve God, or are you going to serve anything else? This is what it means to be God's people. It's what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Jesus. And there's something in us that says, I can follow Jesus and still hang on to everything else. I can follow Jesus, and there's really no consequences to my life. Nothing needs to change. All I'm really thinking about in following Jesus is asking Jesus just to bless what I'm already doing. I think, I think our brothers and sisters around the world who face persecution for their faith understand the concept of following Jesus as wholehearted, all-in discipleship, better than we do, because there's no middle ground in those places. And something in us says, I can follow Jesus with one foot, and I can keep my, all my own priorities with the other foot, and it's okay. Okay. But if following Jesus doesn't make us rethink our plans, if following Jesus doesn't make us rethink the way in which we are living our lives, if following Jesus doesn't lead us to vulnerability, then we need to step back and ask ourselves, am I really wholeheartedly following Jesus? Because that's what it's going to mean. And Mark Mark reinforces this idea by telling us two stories back to back. He tells us not just the story of of Andrew and Peter, but he tells the story of James and John. And the fact that he doubles the story and basically saying the same thing to both of them is his way of reinforcing for his readers how important this is, how central this is, how significant this is. And I think Mark is trying to help us understand Right off the bat, that if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to demand allegiance to Jesus. There's something in us that believes we can follow Jesus and give allegiance to a hundred other things. But Jesus says, come follow me. Period. And it's this call that we are continually being led to, continually being directed to. It's not easy. It's a challenge for us. But this call, and this call is going to lead us ultimately, Mark is saying, to follow Jesus is going to lead ultimately to a cross. There's a story in Mark chapter 8 in which Jesus uh, is talking, asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, some people say Elijah. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, And Jesus says, you're exactly right. And then he begins to explain to them what it means for him to be this kind of Messiah and he says that the son of man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law he would be killed but three days later he would rise from the dead and Peter says to him, Jesus don't talk like that because you're blowing away our view of the Messiah, our view of Messiah is all about power And you're talking about a suffering and a cross. And Jesus says to him, Get away from me, Satan. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. It's a demand to give full allegiance to him, even when it means leading to a cross. Even as Jesus says right after this, that to follow Him means that we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and follow Him. It's in the context of repentance that that we do this. In verse uh, fifteen, verses fourteen and fifteen, right before this story that we read this morning, Jesus uh, comes out and he begins to preach, and he says, "The pro- time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near." Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Following Jesus is always going to involve a level of repentance. It's going to involve repenting of our sins. And that's not something we do once and then we're done with it. It is a lifetime of continually coming to God and saying, I need you. I need you. At the heart of repentance is an acknowledgement that we don't have all the answers, that we are not always right, that that we are wrong and we need Him. At the heart of repentance is a spirit of humility, vulnerability. And this is the call of the gospel. I think it's one of the hardest things for us. It's hard for us to keep coming to God and saying, I need you. Give me grace to follow you. Help me to continue to release the things that I desperately want to hold on to. I think this is true often in the realm of of our accomplishments, our successes. I think this is true in the realm of of what we accumulate and and possessions and, and and the ways in which we view success in this world. I also think it, it has something to do with, with some of the stuff that we're going through right now in terms of politics in our country. I think there's, there's something in us that says we can, we, that, our, that our political position is the most vital thing. And we may not say that, but sometimes it feels like that's the perspective that we're taking. That we want Jesus to bless our plans Instead of us releasing all of these things and following Him. It's not easy. But so much of what we're grasping for is about power instead of surrender. It's about, it's about grasping for for more and more instead of pulling back and, and taking our hands off of our lives and the way in which God works. And it doesn't mean that that we we can't be involved in the political dynamics. But there is a way in which we do that that looks like a follower of Jesus and a way in which we do that that doesn't look like a follower of Jesus. A way in which we do that that says, God, I'm walking this pathway cautiously, carefully, in a spirit of vulnerability, with my hands off and you lead me. And there is a way of doing that in which we are grasping and clutching and trying to hang on to everything we can, even as we're trying to follow Jesus. You go back to that story uh, in, in Mark chapter 8, and the real gist of this is that the, the disciples are saying to Jesus, we, we believe you're the Messiah, we just don't want you to be that kind of Messiah. And one of the struggles for us in all the realms of our lives, including the political realm, is we want to say, Lord, we believe that that you are the Savior. We just don't want you to be that kind of Savior. We want you to be Savior. We don't want you to be Lord. But to follow Jesus is is to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, not just of all things, but of our lives. Our hearts, our attitudes, our actions, our perspectives, everything about us. Including how we treat each other. You know, we're we're all going to have different opinions about all kinds of things, including politics. But the call of the gospel... Is to, is to have these differences of opinion in a way that honors Christ, that's following the way of Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, if you love each other. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, you can do the greatest things in the world, you can accomplish all the great things in the world, you can have the right perspective about everything in the world, but if you don't have love, you've missed it. You've missed it. And we need to be thinking seriously, not just about what we believe, but how we talk about what we believe. Because one of the things that Jesus says here is that following him is not just about us following him. It's about the fact that when we follow him, he says to them, come follow me and I will teach you how to help other people follow me. I'll make you fishers of people. And to be fishers of people means that we are leading them to Jesus not to our way of thinking. And the only way people are ever going to to hear what we have to say, the only way anybody's ever going to want to be drawn to Christ is if they feel like there's something of Christ that they see in us. Of his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his love. I was just I just saw yesterday a, a video Posting a short video posting of, of a pastor, uh, I think it was in Kentucky, who was praying in, for, in front of his congregation and he was praying for God to curse his political enemies. He prayed for God to bring sickness on them. He prayed for God to bring poverty on them. He prayed for God to make this the worst year of their lives simply because they had a different political perspective than he did. And we may not do that, but maybe there are other things that we do that are not reflective of following Jesus, of the spirit of Jesus and the attitude of Jesus, of taking our hands off of our lives and letting the love of Christ, forgiveness, compassion, grace be seen by other people. It's our calling. I know I've said this before, but if people don't see anything different about us than they see in other people who are not followers of Jesus, what would make them want to be a follower of Jesus? It's not easy but it's Christ in us. And most of the time, these things happen, our witness and our following of Jesus and the decisions about that happen more often in the everyday than they do in the spectacular. I don't know about you, but I I like having spectacular experiences with God. I find it fascinating that the disciples are doing something very mundane, They're just mending nets. I would think that as fishermen, that would be one of the worst jobs to have. I mean, talk about boring and mundane, just sitting in a boat mending nets. Nobody caught any fish by just sitting in a boat mending nets. I mean, what you want to do is get out there and catch fish. I'm not not a big fisherman, and partly because I've been out fishing too many times, and uh, it doesn't seem to me like I'm doing any fishing. It just seems like I'm drowning worms. I want to catch fish. If I'm going to go fish, I want to fish. I want to catch fish. That's what fishing is. And I get bored with that, with not catching fish pretty quickly. And I suspect that this is not James and John's favorite duty, but it's important because you throw out your net. If it's got holes in it, you're not going to catch any fish. You've got to do it. And it's interesting to me that Jesus comes to them and calls them out in something very mundane. And it strikes me that if Jesus calls them from the mundane and in the midst of the mundane, then maybe living our lives for him might happen most significantly in the mundane. Because he's calling us to follow him, not in the spectacular, but in the everyday. In our homes, in places where we work, in our relationships, in everything that we do. Fred Craddock is one of my favorite preachers and and he talks about this idea and he says that that so often when we think of giving our our giving our lives for christ wholly and fully it, it, we feel like it's sort of like we go out in a blaze of glory you know we all want that we say okay lord here's my life now make something spectacular out of it and then it'll be worth it but he said more often than not that's not the way god works What we want is to come to God and say, here's my life. And we lay this $1,000 bill on the table and say, here it is. And this is pretty awesome. This is going to be big. And he says, I suspect most of the time, Jesus looks back at us and says, now take that $1,000 bill, go to the bank, cash it in for quarters, and spend the rest of your life giving away the quarters. 25 cents here, 50 cents there, 75 cents there. And Craddock says maybe it's the kind of thing where, where we listen to a pretty boring story from the neighborhood kid and tell, instead of telling him to get lost. Or we go to a nursing home and, and we feed people who are unable to do that. Or we make phone calls to people who we know are hurting. Or we, or we spend some time writing notes to people or making a meal for someone or just listening to people. And it feels like what we're doing has no significance and no meaning unless we believe that God is every bit as much in the everyday and the mundane as he is in the spectacular. And I think at the heart of our wrestling with all of this with wrestling to follow him at the heart of it, is that we're not really sure that Jesus is good news. Jesus says he comes preaching the good news of the kingdom. Mark begins this, this, his gospel by saying, this is the, sto- the, good, the good news, the story of the good news of Jesus. And everything Mark writes is about the good news of Jesus. If we don't really believe that following Jesus is leading us to the good news, that Jesus is indeed the good news, then we'll go looking for anything else we can find that feels like good news. But once we agree, once we believe with all of our being that Jesus is indeed the good news, and following him just makes perfect sense. That's why we come to this table today. We come to this table because here we find the greatest image of Jesus, the good news. That he comes and he gives his life for us. He calls us to live to the life, the way of life to be the way of the cross because that's the way it is for him. He gives his life for you and for me so that we might experience the good news of the kingdom and be image bearers of that good news to others. I believe that Jesus is speaking to every one of us, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. And he's saying to us, I'm the good news. I'm everything you've dreamed and hoped for. Follow me. Holy Father, we ask that you would give us grace to follow you. We thank you, Father, for the the call that you have placed on each of us and the privilege you've given us to be your disciples. We pray, Lord, that you will give us grace to see who you are and in trust follow you. Father, we thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the the gift of bread and cup. And we ask, Father, that your anointing and your blessing would be upon the elements that we have here and wherever we are, that they would be food to our souls, to the love of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.